0: you're a visitor this morning, you're joining us right in the middle of a series through the book of Hebrews. So you can already get a head start and begin to turn to Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. If you were here with us last week in chapter 9, the author posed this question. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? It's an argument he's making in the middle of chapter 9, from the lesser to the greater. If under the law the blood of bulls and goats were able to purify the outside of a man, how much more will the blood of Jesus Christ under the new covenant be able to purify the inside of a man and we might be tempted to leave this question in the realm of hypotheticals but it is quite clear this morning that the author of Hebrews is intent on demonstrating just how much more the blood of Christ will purify Our conscience. So if you do have a Bible this morning, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. And let's turn ahead for a moment, past the passage we're going to look at today, to verse 22. So again. He poses a question in chapter 9, verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? But then in verse 22, we had a question in chapter 9. Now we have in verse 22 a command regarding the same thing. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So, So the question in chapter nine and this command in chapter 10 act like sort of bookends. But somewhere between the question in chapter nine and the command in chapter 10, the hypothetical became the reality. Chapter 9 asks how much more will Christ purify our conscience to serve the living God. And then chapter 10, verse 22, commands us to draw near and serve that living God with a clean conscience. So the hypothetical, somewhere in between the question and the command, this clean conscience moved from question to command, and in between there must be the reality. Somewhere between the interrogative and the imperative, there must be the declarative, which is this. You have a clean conscience. And that somewhere is today's passage, Hebrews 10, 1 through 18. So if you found it, why don't we stand together as we receive the Spirit's testimony to us from God's Word. We're going to begin in verse 1. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. So ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. What is a conscience? What is your conscience? A conscience is an inner witness to your guilt or innocence. Your conscience is that voice inside of you that is constantly testifying to either the rightness or the wrongness of what you have done. And so here is point number one. You want a clean conscience. You want a clean conscience. But our passage actually starts with showing us what a guilty conscience looks like. A guilty conscience is an inner voice that constantly reminds us of our sin. It's an inner voice that is telling us over and over again that we are wrong. And that we have done wrong. According to the first few verses of our passage, the only thing the law's sacrifices can do is feed an already guilty conscience. Look at verse 3 with me. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. That's what the law does for us. It serves as a yearly, monthly weekly, however often we offer the sacrifices, all it does is remind us, again, of all the terrible things we've done. This week I came into my algebra class and uh, a really annoying student of mine was standing at the board with a dry erase marker, writing math sucks on the board. (sighs) So I go over there and I write his name next to it and I crossed out the math part. It was a, it was a harmless joke, but the day wore on, and I realized, you know, teachers probably shouldn't make these kinds of statements about their students, no matter how annoying they are. Even if they started it, it's never okay for me to signal to a student, even in a joking way, that they suck. And so, for hours, I just the guilt was just pressing on me. I've got to find this kid. I've got to go apologize. I've got to ask him for forgiveness. And You know that feeling where you've just got a hole that's boring in the bottom of your stomach. It wasn't until a couple hours later, I was able to track him down in the hallway and apologize and and ask him for forgiveness. We all know what a guilty conscience feels like. It's that nagging feeling and, and we're constantly just rehearsing what we did wrong. It's like our mind is on constant repeat, just playing back every word, every wrong action, the moment of our greatest shame, just on a loop in our mind. You want, and I want, a clean conscience. Now obviously those of us who are here who are baptized believers this morning, we, all, we know that everybody needs a clean conscience. But whether you know that you need one or not, we all want one. Think about all the ways that we try to get a clean conscience. We try to celebrate our way to a clean conscience. A little while back, there was a social media campaign, hashtag shout your abortion. What's going on there? Women were loudly proclaiming the circumstances of their abortion and why it had been a good choice for them and why they had no shame about what they had done. Why would we feel the need to say that we feel zero shame about something we've done? We hope that by celebrating our sin, by shouting it, it will finally stop plaguing our conscience. If there's just enough people cheering us on in what we're doing, maybe it will drown out the sound of our conscience. We try to sear our way out to a clean conscience. If I just sin enough in the same way over and over again, then I won't feel bad about it anymore. If I just lie to my parents enough times, eventually I won't feel guilty about it anymore. If I use that racial slur enough times, there will come a point where I no longer wince when I hear myself say it. If I look at porn enough times, eventually it will become second nature and I won't feel bad about it anymore. If I gossip and slander about my brothers and sisters long enough, I won't know any other way to speak. Or we try to reason our way to a clean conscience. This week I've been teaching on Stephen Crane's classic book, Red Badge of Courage, which is about a young man who at the first sign of battle hightails it out and he runs. And he's sure that they're just going to all get killed. But then he hears an officer come riding by that's shouting, They've held him! By heavens, they have held him, and the youth cringed as if discovered in a crime. By heavens, they had won after all. So he had fled, and without his help, his troop had succeeded. The imbecile line had remained and become victors. He could hear cheering. He turned away amazed and angry. He felt that he had been wronged. He had fled, he told himself, because annihilation approached. He had done a good part in saving himself. It was all plain that he had proceeded according to very correct and commendable rules. His actions had been sagacious things. They had been full of strategy. They were the work of a master's legs. Of course, we can all see through the false reasoning of a coward. But a coward wants a clean conscience like all the rest of us. How many of us have tried to reason our way to a clean conscience in just the same way? But here's the real kicker. We all want a clean conscience, and so we try to sacrifice our way to a clean conscience. This is the way religious people do it. Try to make up for your sins. How many offerings? How many good deeds? How many prayers? How many Hail Marys? We go to church in hopes that we will feel less guilty when we leave. We give more offering. We pray more. We get back on our Bible reading plan. We help a needy person outside of Walmart, maybe. Is that enough, Lord? Can I have a clean conscience now? Have I made up for my sins yet? Can I stop feeling guilty yet? Your answer is in verse 4. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. You can sacrifice all the guilt offerings that you want, and not a single one of them is going to do anything to touch your conscience. You want a clean conscience, but the law cannot touch it. Here, verse 1 again. Since the law has a shadow of the things to come and not the true form of these realities, it can never, hear those words, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are offered continually every year, make perfect those who draw near. The law was just a shadow. It couldn't take away sins. But the good news is that the law is God's way of telling us this. I know you want to have a clean conscience. And I want you to have a clean conscience too. Point number two. God wants you to have a clean conscience. I've just been buzzing on this sermon point all week because it is astounding to me that God would even care how we feel, but God actually wants you to have a clean conscience. He has made it his business to change the way that you feel about your sin. God wants you to have this. God doesn't merely care about his justice in some kind of perfunctory well sin has to be dealt with in some kind of way not only does he care whether we are guilty in the eyes of the law he cares whether we feel guilty in the eyes of the law which means God cares how you and I feel the God of the universe cares about how we feel God doesn't just want me to be forgiven. God wants you and I to feel forgiven. What we're talking about here is God's desire, His good pleasure, His will. And that is what the author of Hebrews enumerates in verses 5 through 10. What is it that God wants? Look at verse 5. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, He said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. So we are talking about here what God desires. What is it that God wants? Verse 6. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. There's another word. So we are talking about what God desires. Now we're talking about what is God's pleasure. What is it that pleases Then verse seven, then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. So what is God's desire? What is God's pleasure? And now this third word, what is God's will? Jesus says, I have come to do your will, O God. Will, that's what God is determined to accomplish. That is His purpose. And in case we didn't get the fact that we're talking about what God wants, these three words are all repeated again in verses 8 and 9. God's desire, God's pleasure, and God's will. So we are talking about what God wants. What is it that God wants? Verse 10. And by that will, by the will of God, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. God doesn't want, that is, it's not his desire, it's not his pleasure, it's not his will to continue to receive (coughs) offerings made under the law. Why? Because those offerings did nothing for our consciences. And that is what God wants. God wants us to have a clean conscience. And that is why he has set aside the first covenant, because it did nothing to give worshipers a clean conscience. According to verse 5, Jesus Christ speaks to us about what God wants, what God desires, his pleasure, his will. And his desire, his pleasure, his will was not for offerings under the first covenant, But what God wanted was for Jesus to offer his body under the second covenant. We have been sanctified. We've been made holy. We've been washed. Not on the outside. On the inside. Set apart from our sins. Set apart for God. Why? Verse 10. By his will. Because that's what God wants. This is the point. God does not want us to worship him out of guilt. He does not want worshipers that are constantly serving him and offering sacrifices because we feel guilty about our sins. Jesus Christ said to the Father, I have come to do your will. And what is God's will? For Jesus to offer his body on the cross as a once for all guilt offering for our sins so that you and I can have a clean conscience in order to serve the living God. Secondly, not only do you want to have a clean conscience, but God wants you to have a clean conscience. So first, you want to have a clean conscience. Secondly, the good news is God wants that for you as well. And thirdly and graciously, a clean conscience is yours in Christ. Look at verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. If you today have repented and believed in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven once for all. Not mostly forgiven not almost forgiven, not forgiven until you sin again. Either Jesus has been crucified, raised from the dead, and seated at the right hand of God, or he hasn't. And if he is seated for all time, then there's no more guilt offerings for all time. And if there's no more guilt offerings for all time, then you are forgiven for all time. And if you are forgiven for all time, then you have a clean conscience for all time. Whereas in verse 1, we're told the law can never by the same sacrifices that are offered over and over again, can never perfect those who draw near. Verse 14 tells us he has by a single offering perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Think about how many sacrifices were offered in the Old Testament. Millions. Millions. And they all failed, both individually and collectively, to give us a clean conscience. And then the author of Hebrews comes in and says, but do you know what? By a single offering, Jesus has done what infinite offerings under the law, could never do. The sheer number of failures only shows us the immensity of the one's success. In the mid-1900s, runners had hit a wall, namely the four-minute mile. Everyone was striving to try to break that time, but no one seemed to be able to do it. British journalist and runner at the time by the name of John Bryant wrote, For years, milers had been striving against the clock, but the elusive four-minute mile had always beaten them, and it had become as much a psychological barrier as a physical one. And like an unconquerable mountain, the closer it was approached, the more daunting it seemed. And it had just been concluded that it was beyond human physical ability to break this time barrier. Men are physically unable to run a four minute mile. Then came Roger Bannister. And he threw out all conventional wisdom. He didn't train with a coach. In fact, he trained while being a university student during his lunch break. On May 6, 1954, he ran a mile in three minutes, 59.4 seconds. And you know what? It was the failure. Of so many who had tried. that really makes Roger Bannister stand out in his success. A clean conscience. Millions of sacrifices. Tried to get it for you. They all fell short. Jesus, by offering himself once for all, has secured that for us. A clean conscience is yours and Christ. And this is not contrary to the will of God or going around the will of God. This is actually God's desire, pleasure, and will for you and I. What greater statement can God make that he has kept his promise than to let Jesus sit down at his right hand? You don't sit down when there's still work to be done. I was at Walmart yesterday morning. And they they had the entire self-checkout shut down. You guys ever been to Walmart when that's happened? Okay, so this is like nine in the morning. I'm the kind of person where, you know, you come up to uh, the the, uh, register where I'm at and you see my cart and you immediately go look for another aisle. (laughs) But the problem was they only had two registers open and the self-checkout was closed. Now imagine, you're in a hurry. You pull up behind me and there's no other aisles open, and you're stuck for 30 minutes waiting for me to unload and reload and pay for my groceries. Meanwhile, there are three employees sitting behind registers with their feet up on the cash register. I'm not saying it was this way. I'm saying imagine it was this way, (laughs) okay? You would be outraged. I saw all of your mouths just drop open. You'd be so upset. You don't sit down when there is work to do. Go open another register. But the author of Hebrews says that is exactly what Jesus Christ is doing. Verse 11. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And guess what? He put his feet up, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Work is done. Clean conscience. Secured. For all time. By a single sacrifice for sins. There is no more work to be done. It is finished. In the new covenant, all guilt offerings have ceased for all time. In fact, there's only ever been one offering for sin in the new covenant. And it happened at the beginning. God will never accept another guilt offering from his new covenant priests. So brothers and sisters, you and I need to stop offering them. Stop. You don't need to sacrifice your way to a clean conscience. Jesus Christ has already done that. God doesn't want your guilt offerings. He doesn't want you to serve him because you owe him something. God wants you to have a clean conscience. And now that the will of God, what God wants, has been realized in the once for all sacrifice of Jesus for our sins It's yours if you'll take hold of it. A clean conscience is yours in Christ. Will you repent of trying to celebrate your way to a clean conscience? Will you repent of searing your way to a clean conscience of trying to reason your way out of your guilt? Will you repent of trying to sacrifice your way to a clean conscience? Will you repent and believe that a clean conscience is just yours as a free gift won for you by Jesus Christ? A guilty conscience prevents us from being able to worship God. We think, you know, guilt is sometimes a good motivator for doing things for God. I'm sorry, the law is where the guilt is found, and the law is what placed a giant curtain between you and God. The law says, as long as you're guilty, you cannot serve the living God. A clean conscience frees us to worship God. If God doesn't remember our sins, why should we? What should we recall to mind? What should be on constant replay loop in our mind? It's this, forgiveness. I have been forgiven through the once for all sacrifice of Jesus, my Savior. The law is a constant reminder of sin. You want to live under that? You think that doing your best to obey God's law and somehow earning your way to heaven is the way you want to go? Friends, all that lies down that path is guilt and misery. Don't you want a clean conscience? God wants you to have a clean conscience. And it's yours in Jesus Christ. Don't you want to live under a covenant and walk into a tent over which the doorway is this promise. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds. No more. This is the reason God has put his Holy Spirit inside of us, so that the Holy Spirit might sit on the witness stand of our hearts and bear witness, the author of Hebrews says, to us. Just as verse 15 says, God in Christ remembers your sins and your lawless deeds no more. A guilty conscience comes from the law, which is a continual testimony that our sins are not forgiven. A clean conscience comes from the Holy Spirit's continual testimony in our heart that God has kept his promise. As we close, brothers and sisters, perhaps here's a good encouragement. There is another reason why God has put his Holy Spirit inside of us. It's so that we might bear witness to one another to the eternal forgiveness of God in Christ. We remind each other God remembers our sins no longer when we say to each other, and also I will remember your sins no longer. Ephesians 4.32 Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God has forgiven you. Those who have been forgiven, forgive. Those with a clean conscience know how terrible it is to have a guilty one and they go out of their way to extend forgiveness to those who have sinned against them. You want a clean conscience. God wants you to have a clean conscience, and a clean conscience is yours in Christ. You do not have to feel guilty anymore. Will you repent and believe the good news of the gospel today? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the singular might and power of your offering for the guilt that we have experienced. We thank you for the reminder, Holy Spirit, once more that we are forgiven. God, I pray if there is a child, if there is an adult, if there is anyone here who is plagued by a guilty conscience who does not know what it feels like to be clean before you, I pray that you'd send your spirit into their heart for them to believe and trust that you have kept your promise in Jesus. You will not remember our sins and our lawless deeds anymore. And I pray, God, that this thankfulness and joy would be a stronger motive to worship you than guilt ever could be. May we leave off these guilty, offerings and sacrifices we try to offer you. May we serve you with thankful hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.